Welcome everybody, my name is Corey Allen and of course this is the Overton Report. We appreciate you joining us today uh, on BigPatriotRadio.com. You can catch us every Tuesday night at 7 p.m. with an encore performance right after that, usually around 8, 8, 10, depending on uh, how long the show goes. So today I wanted to talk about a couple of uh, a couple of things. But before we get to that, I want to let you know you can Follow us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Overton, Or if you search the Overton Report, I'll pop right up. You can follow us on YouTube at youtube.com slash the Overton Report. And then you can find us on Twitter at Overton underscore the. Uh, and any of your uh, favorite platforms, Gab, Telegram, uh, Truth Social, whatever. Just Just search the Overton Report. A lot of interesting things going on over the past couple of weeks. One of the first things that I'd like to talk to you about is this uh, insane situation that just came out of the Bureau of Labor and Statistics. Now, it's no secret to... uh, any American who has been paying attention that there's a massive crisis at the U.S. border, the southern border. We have, uh, well, whether it's it's fentanyl coming from China via the southern border, uh, whether it's massive caravans filled with migrant workers coming from Central and South America, all the way up to the border. And then once they get here, just being let loose, given, you know, a phone, some money, just very, very wild stuff. But we've been gaslit for a long time about this, talking about how these, uh, these migrants, these, these quote refugees, they're just in a bad spot and, and they need our help. Well, the fact of the matter, actually, and we're about to get into it, is is that, well, the American public really needs help. So this is from the Daily Mail, and uh, they are not, the Daily Mail, if you don't know, they're based out of the UK, and they're not exactly a right-wing organization, okay? But it says, here's the headline, staggering figures reveal that 1.2 million U.S.-born workers lost their jobs last month, replaced by 688,000 foreign-born workers as Joe Biden allows migrants to flood across the border. So, you know, we we constantly have been hearing from like NPR and uh, MSNBC how the the jobs are all coming back, you know? And for a while, they keep, they, they would overestimate sometimes by is over a hundred thousand you know how they do those monthly reports uh, of how many uh, jobs the US economy gained and all of those for for Biden's entire term were actually jobs that were just coming back after states all over the country had forced the shutdown of small businesses for months and months if not over a year and a half in, in some of the Democrat held states. So there were never actually any increases in jobs, right? It was just some of the jobs were coming back as the uh, the almighty government allowed small businesses to reopen, right? But what we have here is actually quite telling because this is, if you recall recently, Joe Biden and his handlers started calling this this economy, this current state of of America, Bidenomics. And since that's happened, it turns out 1.2 million American-born workers have been stripped out of the workforce just in a single month. And out of that 1.2 million, about half of those jobs 
it seems, were replaced with foreign-born workers, and then the other half million just disappeared, never to be seen again. So that's Bidenomics for you. So I'm going I'm to read a little bit from this. It says, the latest data showed that the decrease in number uh, in the number of native-born workers month-on-month month has dropped to lows not seen since April 2020. Do you remember what happened in April 2020? That's when the the vast majority of the shutdowns began. So this is the worst month-to-month drop since April 2020. The height of the fear of the pandemic, right? The increase in foreign-born people working in the U.S. this summer, 668,000, is the highest July to August jump in over a decade. (laughs) This story continues. Staggering figures have revealed that over 1.2 million U.S.-born workers lost their jobs last month, while the foreign-born workforce increased by nearly 700,000, as migrants continue to flood across the border under the Biden administration. Data from the U.S. Bureau of Labor Statistics show that between July and August, there was a staggering decrease of 1.223 million native-born people in the workforce, which is a low not beaten since the jobs crash when COVID hit in April 2020. In stark contrast, 688,000 jobs were secured by foreign-born workers, underlining the difference in Joe Biden's pro-migration policies versus Donald Trump's tough border stance. The data published on Friday shows that the number of U.S.-born workers in employment had previously been steadily increasing since January when the figure sat at 130 million. This jumped to 131 million in April before peaking in July with 132 million. Now, remember I said that was just the the tapering off of various jobs beginning to come back, okay, and come back from that massive dip in, in April of 2020, right? We've been slowly gaining some of those jobs back. We're still not even at post-COVID or pre-COVID numbers, but it's it's pretty heavy, right? This is the largest decrease in American-born workers in the workforce in in over three years, and that's a big that's a big issue. And again, this is one hundred percent caused by Bidenomics mixed with Biden's. I say Biden, right? But but obviously, I mean his handlers. The uh, the bureaucrats, the unelected, you know, smoke filled room, wheeling and dealing, corrupt elitists, right? Those people, their decision to bring, to allow and encourage hundreds of thousands, if not mi- actually millions, of migrants to come from our up through our southern border to get cheap, unskilled labor, to to hurt the average pay of the average American. And the Democrats, I mean, these people, the average Democrat voter, they just, they, their inability to look beyond their own nose and see the connection here is, is ridiculous to me. It's, it's very, it's disconcerting. Because if they can't see something as simple as this, I mean, think about this. In June, the Border Patrol encountered 100,000 people, and that was a low month. In April, it was like 140,000. May, it was like 160. That's how many people they encounter at the border. And a vast majority of those, they give them a court date that they'll never show up to. Send them on their way, give them some some papers, a cell phone so that they can reach them for their court date. Just total counterproductive measures, right? Measures that would be counterproductive if you're not trying to increase the number of, of illegal migration into the United States. It's a really dangerous situation. We're really playing with fire here. Look at Europe. I mean, I don't even want to get into what's going on over there, but you 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 can search it, look at the riots, look at the crime, 
look at the uh, the the massive layoffs, the the total unrest by the native populations in pick a country in Europe because of mass migration, and they're doing the exact same here, the same thing here now. So that's a uh, <laughs> oof. The most interesting statistic here is in one month, there were about 700,000 foreign-born worker increase, right? While 1.225 million native-born U.S. citizens were kicked out of the job market, okay? To compare that to Donald Trump, okay, between August... Of 2017 to 2019, there was an increase of 752,000 foreign-born workers. In one month, Joe Biden nearly reached that same number in a single month. It says, uh, the Daily Mail says that to contrast that year and a half between August 2017 to 2019... Uh, Democrat Joe Biden's figures from August 2021 to 2023 was nearly 4 million foreign-born workers. That's crazy. Crazy. So if you don't think that this is purposeful, I, I don't see how this could, I, I don't see how you could accidentally create policies that encourage this type of massive decrease in American citizens in the workforce and this type of increase in foreign-born foreign-born workers in the same month. I don't see how that could be an accident. It's not. It's not an accident, actually. It's on purpose. It's it's globalism 101. And we all know, I mean, we all know that Joe Biden doesn't care about the United States. He's he's about to go to India. I think he might actually be there now for a G20 summit on the climate, right? It's all about green energy and the climate. They're doing some stuff in Africa right now uh, about green energy, which ain't so green to them because they're using slave labor to mine lithium by hand. (laughs) So it ain't that green, really. But John Kerry is there right now in Africa. He's going to be meeting uh, Joe Biden in India, but but. Joe Biden isn't even going to be in New York City during 9-11 for the 9-11 anniversary. Can't make it, he said. Can't make it in time. I'm going to be in India discussing how to further destroy the American economy to the benefit of our adversarial nations like China. That's what he's going to be busy doing on uh, September 11th. So that's pretty disgusting. And Joe Biden will stop at nothing. His uh, th- th- It's not even just Joe Biden. I know I keep saying Joe Biden, but it really is. And I'm not I'm not a conspiracy guy, but there's no there's no conspiracy theory here. There There is an actual conspiracy to to discount the will of the American people. The American citizen, the American voter in favor of migrants elitist interests, massive multinational fascistic private-public partnerships, it's, it's beyond question. Nobody in good faith can question that reality to, to the extent that they've got people now that are trying to uh, preempt Donald Trump smashing everybody in the upcoming Republican primary next year. They have members of both parties because we know that there are people in the Republican Party that are just just as bad. Just as bad. Just as global thinking members of the WEF. It's very, very scary stuff. But they're trying to use the third clause of the 14th Amendment in order to keep Donald Trump off the ballot. And we're going to read a little bit about that in a moment. But I want you to uh, to understand what the third clause of the 14th Amendment says. Okay, I'm going to read it to you. It says, no person shall be a senator or representative in Congress or elector of president and vice president 
or hold any office, civil or military, under the United States or any state, who, having previously taken an oath as a member of Congress or as an officer of the United States, or as a member of any state legislator, or as an executive or judicial officer of any state, to support the Constitution of the United States, shall have engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the same, or given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof. But Congress may, by a vote of two-thirds of each house, remove such disability. Okay, so so what does that mean? I'm going to put it in layman's terms. Basically, this means that if somebody is a an officer, so an elected official, right? Or if let's say it's a judge who has taken an oath of office, anybody who's taken an oath of office to the United States uh, or the Constitution, who is uh, convicted of sedition, insurrection, or rebellion, cannot run for a federal office or a state office, depending. So there are states right now or there, I shouldn't say that, there are members of states, there are citizens of states who are DAs or, or members of state legislature who are trying to keep Donald Trump's name off of the ballot in their state, because, you know, they have to do this state by state, regardless of whether he wins the, the Republican nomination, the Republican primary, they're going to try and keep him off of the general election ballot in their state under this clause, there's a big issue with that, and that is a very obvious one. It's that he has not even come close to being charged with insurrection, aiding and abetting, or rebellion, right? The only thing he's been charged with is having some documents in his bathroom at Mar-a-Lago and uh, trying to get a phone number of uh, Pennsylvania state legislature leader, those types of things. So I'm going to first read ABC News, and then I'm going to read from Newsmax, which includes Donald Trump's take on this, right? So here's the headline. State election officials prepare for efforts to disqualify Trump under the 14th Amendment. Now, keep in mind, this has never been used before, obviously. And if this does come There's no way that the Supreme Court will allow this to stand. But it says state election officials prepare for efforts to disqualify Trump under the 14th Amendment. New Hampshire, Michigan, and Arizona are bracing for lawsuits. Of course, Arizona is on that that list. Efforts to keep... Uh, Former President Donald Trump off the 24 ballot under the 14th Amendment are gaining momentum as election officials in key states are preparing for or starting to respond to legal challenges to Trump's candidacy. The argument to disqualify Trump from appearing on primary or general election ballots in 2024 boils down to Section 3 of the Constitution's Amendment, 14th Amendment, uh, which I just read to you. It says, uh, which states that an elected official is not eligible to assume public office if that person engaged in insurrection or rebellion against the United States or had given aid or comfort to the enemies thereof, unless they're granted amnesty by a two-thirds vote of Congress. Several advocacy groups have said that Trump's actions on January 6, 2021 fit that criteria, that he directly engaged in an insurrection. The legal theory has been pursued unsuccessfully against a few other elected Republicans, arguing their actions around January 6 in support for overturning the 2020 election results amounted to the disqualifying behavior. So that's right. They tried to do this to various uh, state uh, state legislators uh, in, in various states over the past couple of years, and it's always failed because it's just absurd. Because words have meaning. Somebody must be found guilty of insurrection to have committed insurrection. Do you see what I mean? So Trump campaign spokesperson Stephen Chung told ABC News in a statement, Joe Biden, Democrats and never Trumpers are scared to death because they see polls showing President Trump winning in the general election. The people who are pursuing this absurd conspiracy theory and political attack on President Trump 
are stretching the law beyond recognition, much like the political prosecutors in New York, Georgia, and D.C. There is no legal basis for this effort. The push to disqualify Trump under this constitutional clause gained more traction when two members of the conservative Federalist Society, William Bowd and Michael Stokes Paulson, recently supported the idea in the pages of a Pennsylvania law review. Following the Bowden-Paulson article, retired conservative federal appeals judge J. Michael Lutig, Ludig and Harvard law professor emeritus Lawrence Tribe made the same argument in The Atlantic. So it's very interesting to me that these people who talk about democracy this, democracy that, when it comes to allowing the people to choose their own president, well, they'll be damned if they allow you to do it won't they? Now, here's what Trump says. Trump says that calls for the 14th Amendment ballot ban are a trick. This is from Newsmax. Uh, Former President Donald Trump is accusing states that are trying to use the 14th Amendment to disqualify him from the 2024 ballot of staging a trick to steal the election from him and give it to President Joe Biden. Quote, Almost all legal scholars have voiced opinions that the 14th Amendment has no legal basis or standing relative to the upcoming 2024 presidential election, Trump posted on his True Social page Monday night. Quote, like election interference is just another trick being used by the radical left communists, Marxists, and fascists to again steal an election that their candidate, the worst, most incompetent, and most corrupt president in U.S. history, is incapable of winning in a free and fair election. So this is, this is very interesting because we have, we have evidence and proof of Joe Biden and his family taking multi-million dollar payments from the biggest adversarial nation to the United States, communist China, among a multitude of other foreign governments, don't we? And we also have proof of them doing some quid pro quo type stuff, don't we? So if we want to talk about aiding and abetting, and giving uh, or giving aid and comfort to a an enemy of the United States, which is also in Clause Three. Well, I think I think this is a can of worms that they really don't want to open because it doesn't really get much much clearer than taking money in exchange for political favors when you're the second in the second in command of the United States of America as Joe Biden was while taking those bribes, right? So I don't I don't know. I don't see how this I don't see how this can be applied. There was a protest and there was no I mean there was no insurrection and Donald Trump certainly had no no role in any aspect of any insurrection. I mean, what did he do? He, he called for one of the things they're being charged for down in Georgia is trying to get slates of alternate electors. That's that's part of the their seditious conspiracy and the RICO charges that that they're being faced with right now. But but you know who else? This is interesting. I don't I don't know if many people know this, but, but do you know who else who else uh, worked to get alternate electors sent to Congress, sent to D.C.? During an election in a state that was contested, uh, John F. Kennedy, the state was Hawaii, and there was a question as to whether he or Nixon had won Hawaii in 1960. And so he gathered legally, because this is a, I mean, this is a legal thing to do. He gathered alternate electors, sent them to D.C. And what ended up happening? Because initially the electors had gone for Nixon. And they sent those electors. So JFK got an alternate slate of electors from Hawaii, sent them to D.C. And what happened? Turned out he was right. Those alternate electors were used and JFK won the state of Hawaii. So if it wasn't seditious conspiracy, insurrection, open rebellion, then how is it this time? Tell me. 
but, but again, we're dealing with people who are unprincipled and don't care. They don't care about the rule of law. They don't care about the Constitution. They don't care about the way things are supposed to go. They are willing to interpret and reinterpret and reinterpret those reinterpretations in order to, to, to get the outcome they want, regardless of right and wrong, regardless of legalities and illegalities. Regardless of the will of the American people, they don't care. Power, control, any means necessary. And we, we don't only see this happening at a federal level with this instance. We see that there are, there are a lot of people in, in local politics, in party politics, in county party, county party politics, in state politics, here in South Carolina, I'm sure we could all name a few. Power and control is the goal by any means necessary. Lie, cheat, steal, fake, manipulate. All of that is perfectly excusable because, well, the ideologues, they want what they want and they don't care how they get it. That's why they're willing to... to bail out people who burn cities because they're doing it for the correct ideological reasons in in the mind of those ideologues. That's why they're willing to pretend that there's a, a pipe that burst during the counting of the votes in Georgia, evacuating where they're counting votes, except for a couple of people who are then on film running the ballots over and over and over and over again in Fulton County, which is where, coincidentally enough, the DA has charged Donald Trump and a dozen and a half others for questioning the legitimacy of the election, specifically in, in Pennsylvania and, and in Georgia, which is really funny, too, because, you know, a couple of uh, a couple of days ago, we discovered and, and we posted about this on our Facebook. So don't forget to follow us on Facebook. Just search the Overton Report and I'll pop up Corey Allen, but, but we, we, we posted a picture of a tweet from old DA, DA Fanny, old Fanny Willis, the DA in Georgia, uh, on election day, November 4th of 2020, when that pipe, uh, magically burst without sending any water anywhere where they were counting votes, uh, and the place was shut down except for a few uh, Democrat members of the, the election commission there where they were continued running votes through the machines over and over again. And we all saw that on, on film. So don't tell me I'm lying. It's all right there on camera. But Fannie Willis questioned the legitimacy of the election because of that. She said, quote, Georgia could determine who is our next president. A team of lawyers needs to watch them count every single vote. They can start in Fulton County where we're having water leaks. What ballots are they throwing out? Georgia, let's give an honest accounting. No stunts. What is that? What is that if not questioning the legitimacy of the vote counting in Fulton County? But now the same woman file indicted Donald Trump and Mark Meadows and, and like I said, a dozen and a half others for doing the exact same thing. If they didn't have double standards, they would have no standards at all. Isn't that the cliche? But I think it's extremely fitting here. Truly. Just please keep an eye out on this. It is, it is, this is, getting so dangerous so dangerous we are right there on the precipice i am not not <laughs> i'm not one to scream from the rooftops like doom and gloom but guys this is getting very dangerous and the reason it's getting very dangerous is because the left is getting more and more desperate and the democrat establishment is getting more and more desperate every single day i mean the wall street journal which again Nowhere close to a right-wing organization just came out with a poll with 73% saying that Biden is, quote, too old for another term. And I don't, I don't know that it's really Biden's age that concerns the vast majority of voters. What it really is is that we live, we live in, an, in a time and an age where everything is filmed. So, 
So it's almost impossible, no matter how hard they try, and trust me, the media, they do try to hide Joe Biden's mental decline. But his the it's it's become too obvious, too glaring. His inability to string sentences together, his constant forgetfulness. He has no idea what he's talking about. He can hardly walk. I mean, the man has fallen more than any president in history that I can think of. I mean, hell, we used to have a presidents that would get up on stage to tell a speech, get shot in the chest, finish their 45-minute speech, and then then walk away. But this guy can't even walk up the stairs or walk on a stage. So I don't believe, and that's the Wall Street Journal trying to to kind of soften the blow. 73% say Biden is too old for another term. It's not his age. It's It's his mental decline. His cognitive abilities have collapsed. They were hardly there to begin with, but they have collapsed. A lot of people think that means that they'll probably, at the last minute, switch Biden out for a different candidate. I'm not so sure. I'm not so sure because Biden is a perfect puppet for those people. And if they think they have it in the bag, they're going to have it in the bag. You know what I mean? They don't care. They don't want necessarily somebody with higher ambitions who's going to try and run the show right so there's there's a pretty good possibility they're not gonna they're not gonna do that they're not gonna take him out of the race they're gonna try and run him especially i don't know it's (laughs) it's hard to say Now, moving on to an issue here in the here in the great state of South Carolina, and more specifically, the Char- uh, the Charleston, Berkeley, Dorchester, Tri County area, the Low Country here. There's been a big uproar about these uh, con- uh, no concealable weapons allowed signs that have been placed in public parks and public areas. Now. Our own Matt Lieber, the Charleston delegation, um, Joe Bustos, they they fought this. They fought this because we passed Constitution. Well, you almost got me there. We passed open carry with training, which is one, uh, one step away from actual true constitutional carry. If you have a concealed weapons permit, you're allowed to open carry in South Carolina, right? Like a pistol on your hip. And that law specifically includes clauses that that disallow public parks and and cities from creating ordinances or 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 disallowing people to open carry in those places. Now it it was a it was a big back and forth between the parks department and the, the Republican legislative dele- uh, the Republican half of the Charleston legislative delegation and some of the towns like Mount Pleasant and Eventually, what had to happen was that there are some appointments coming up to the uh, Parks and Rec Department, okay, in Charleston, and those were going to be held up by the legislative delegation if they didn't agree to stop breaking the law. That's what it took, okay, in Charleston for them to, to do this. Now, I was sent an email correspondence between the town of Mount Pleasant and the representative from the Parks Department. And I'm going to post that uh, later on uh, tonight on Facebook. So, like I said, follow me on Facebook. And the correspondence is very telling. And this this is way before, this is actually even before they put the signs up, okay? So this is a while ago. <laughs> this, it's been a while. Because now the signs have been taken down. They We won that battle for the second amendment, but just barely just by threatening to hold up appointments to keep their pockets from being filled, which is very telling about bureaucracy. Okay. But that's, that's a story for another day. Okay. We all know how Corey Allen feels about bureaucracy, don't we? So in this correspondence, the, the town of Mount Pleasant is, is letting the, parks department know that it's illegal for them to do this 
and they were talking about putting it at a pier, a public pier, um, and boat landing. And they sent them the law and the clause of that of that law that disallowed them from doing it, the Parks Department from doing it. The Parks Department said, yeah, well, we've decided to, in- to interpret it a different way. So they knew what they were doing was wrong. And like I said, these people will interpret, reinterpret, then reinterpret the reinterpretations until it's something completely different than what everybody knows it's supposed to mean. Okay? So that's an interesting little tidbit. But after the Charleston County Parks removed the no concealable weapons allowed signs, Lieber, Matt Lieber, District 116, he he said that he even confirmed this, that prior to the department removing the signs, he had worked to withhold portions of their funding and several appointments to their commission. And that's why he said, that's what it, that's what it took to get them to do the right thing. But Wendell Gilliard, who's a state rep and is uh, trying to become a state Senator right now, he gave kudos to the parks department for their attempt to, pre- for their quote, attempt to prevent gun violence by posting these signs. Cause we all know, we all know that having those signs up, saves lives, right? It doesn't it doesn't tell the bad guys the perfect place to go to commit armed robbery, right? Right? It doesn't it doesn't tell them which barrels of fish are there for the shooting. Does it? It prevents those those signs, you know, they save lives. Anyway, <laughs> sorry for the rant. He said, "Quote, whether they circumvented the law or not, it was with good intentions. Nothing is wrong with that. And he said if he could put them everywhere, he would. So this man, who's a lawmaker, who was there when the law was passed, voted against it, but was there when the law was passed, said that he didn't care that an unelected bureaucracy decided to circumvent the law because in his eyes, they did it with good intention. You heard me right. A a South Carolina Democrat state lawmaker said there's nothing wrong with government bureaucracies breaking the law when it's done with, quote, good intentions. And he told the news that he was so bold that he was willing to say that in public. The Charleston County Parks Department knew and purposefully broke the law, infringing on the rights of citizens. And he said nothing is wrong with ignoring those constitutionally enumerated rights. This shows you exactly how he thinks. And not just him, but I've yet to find a single member of their party that does not think this way as well. He makes laws, but he doesn't think that the government should have to follow them as long as he agrees with their ideological reason for doing so. That's a dangerous belief system. He doesn't care if your rights are stripped. He doesn't care. The Parks Department in uh, Goose Creek in Berkeley County tried to do the exact same thing. They put up these signs. And after this came down in, uh, in Charleston, well, they changed their tune and they took, those, uh, they took those signs down. So a win for the Second Amendment. It's a shame that it had to be so hard fought. But it's not surprising. I mean, these are the same people that that want to take away the First Amendment unless they agree. They want to take the Second Amendment because they only want the government to have guns. Because, you know, if only the government has guns, then what does that give the government? Ultimate control and power. And what do we know about the left? They are willing to do anything for control and power. And to that end, we all know that there are some uh, NGOs or non-government organizations that do a lot of work with bureaucracies. One of those is the American Library Association. We're all aware 
of the insanity that has been going on with the American Library Association. Their their new leader is a self-avowed Marxist. I had somebody somebody in the comment section of one of my posts, you know, calling me crazy for saying that the ALA was run by a Marxist. <laughs> and I was like, dude, like, here she is on video. Here she is in print telling you what she believes. I'm not the idiot for taking her at her word. You're the idiot. I didn't say this, but, but it's true. You're the idiot for pretending or not knowing that it that it happened. For pretending that it didn't happen or for not knowing that it happened. This is who she is. This is who they are. Well, big news out of South Carolina uh, the South Carolina Association of School Libraries has refused to dissolve their partnership with the American Library Association. And, uh, you know, we've seen some state library associations in various parts of the country dissolve their partnerships because of this. Um, it's a very real issue. I mean, these are the people who choose the books that the gener generations of children read. Right. And if they are self-avowed Marxists, what kind of books do you think they're curating? Well, we already know. Right. Because we've done a lot of work in that. You can actually go to our YouTube, youtube.com slash the Overton Report, and you can watch some videos about some of the battles that we've fought with a lot of these books in the school system. And we've done a lot of work with South Carolina's Moms for Liberty groups uh, in this in this realm as well. Uh you can also see an interview that I did with Ellen Weaver while she was running against uh, S.C. Fared, founder and far left, also Marxist Democrat Lisa Ellis. And the reason I say that is because State Superintendent Ellen Weaver of the South Carolina Department of Ed Education says, sent a letter to the SCASL, the South Carolina Association of School Libraries, saying that the Department of Education in South Carolina will no longer partner with them until they remove themselves from the ALA. And that's big. Now, here's what she said. And you can you can find this on my Facebook page if you just search uh, Ellen Weaver. This entire letter will pop up, but I want to just kind of get to the good stuff. It says, uh, regrettably, a number of SCASL's recent communications via its website, such as the American Library Association's Advocacy Toolkit, in testimony regarding library censorship, uh, before quote, censorship, before members of the Teacher Recruitment and Retention Task Force, and most recently in a letter sent to local school board members, undermine the, uh, that vital objective. That vital vital objective that uh, to which she refers is earlier in the in the uh, in the letter says a key priority of all educators and especially librarians should be to foster strong cooperative relationships with parents to leverage their resources with a goal of maximizing student achievement a cooperative approach approach among parents administrators teachers school staff businesses and faith and, and community organizations is the only way we will achieve the ambitions the ambitious goals we have for the students of this state. Okay, so she says, regrettably, the SCASL's recent communications via its website undermine that vital objective. It goes on, parents are entirely justified in seeking to ensure educational materials presented to their children are age-appropriate and aligned with the overall purpose of South Carolina's instructional program and standards. When SCASL labels those efforts as bans, censorship, or a violation of educators' intellectual freedom, the result is a more hostile environment which does not serve the needs of students. SCASL's decision to send a letter to South Carolina school board members, which extensively quoted politicized rhetoric from a New York school district employee who states that, quote, districts and boards should probably place more consideration on the emotional well-being of students rather than on attempts to pacify parents, 
actively erodes the trust and partnership we must build between parents and educators. In South Carolina, student well-being and parental satisfaction are not opposing interests. As a result of SEASL's continued lack of discernment on this foundational issue, the South Carolina Department of Education will formally discontinue any partnership with SCAL as an organization effective immediately. It is my sincere hope that in the future, SCASL will continue to recognize the value, the role of parents in directing the content of their children's education and cease the use of hyperbolic rhetoric that politicizes these important issues. Sincerely, Ellen Weaver, State Superintendent of Education. And that is an amazing an amazing letter. And the SCASL had no idea what to do with that. So until the SCASL gets it together, basically, and stops demonizing parents and stops basically pushing pornography and, and hyper inappropriate stuff to children, well, the SC Department of Education is just not going to just not going to mess with them anymore. They just, they don't want nothing to do with it. Now the SCASL, they, they responded with some, some letter talking about the value of our partnership cannot be overstated. Together we share mutual goals and values. Talking to the South Carolina Department of Education, they list, uh, collaborations that they've that they've done together over the last 50 years town hall meetings library supervisor meetings school library surveys right and they go on and on and on and then they completely backtrack in the second to last paragraph everything that they've been doing for the past couple of years now it says we avidly encourage and support parent engagement and volunteering which strengthens schools immeasurably but that's not true, right? They, well, they, they avidly encourage and support parent engagement when those parents agree with them wholeheartedly and give up their own rights to have a say in their children's uh, education. That's what they do, right? Then they ask Ellen Weaver to come and, and sit with them and their leadership in person, probably so they can try and gaslight her and and uh, you know do what they do to parents on a, on a consistent and regular basis. This is an ongoing story and I am I'm telling you that's a big move because you know the Freedom Caucus has been asking in, in South Carolina, which are you know good friends of ours they've been asking the South Carolina uh, Association of School Libraries to, discontinue their partnership with the ALA for months now to no response. So have so many parental rights groups uh, and education groups to just flat out ignoring them. So hopefully this actual action that took place under Ellen Weaver will, uh, will make them rethink, right? Because consequences are really what needs to happen, honestly. It's the only way, it's the only thing these people understand is, you know, if people who are seeking absolute power and control, the only thing that they understand in response is us implementing power over them. Okay. That's just the way it is, unfortunately. So hopefully we can continue backing them into a corner to where they have to finally do the right thing. But that's what it will take. That's what it usually takes in politics. Nobody... I won't say nobody. Most people in politics, especially the unaccountable, unaccountable bureaucracy and the uh, and the NGOs, they have to be forced to do the right thing. It's 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 rare, and there are a few out there. There are a few elected officials, and there are a few groups who do the right thing because it's the right thing. But a lot of them, by and large, I would say a slim majority at least, well, they got to be forced into doing uh, what's right. So here we are. Guys, I really appreciate you joining us today. Uh, don't forget, I know I've said it a few times, but definitely follow us on Facebook. We actually just got monetized on Facebook, and I got a blue check mark on Facebook, which is 
that blows my mind. I never thought that would actually happen. So every time you like, comment, or share uh, any of my posts, it actually helps us. And over the next six months, we're going to take 50% of everything that we uh, earn on Facebook and we're going to give it to uh, conservative organizations and uh, charitable organizations that are doing good things. So the other 50% is going to go into uh, new equipment and uh, investigations, FOIAs, things like that. So definitely don't even have to donate. Just like, comment, and share on Facebook. You can follow me on YouTube, like I said, youtube.com slash the Overton Report. Definitely check out that Ellen Weaver interview because, you know, she really did uh, explain what her goals are in a general sense in that interview. I think you'll you'll get a lot out of it if you're not really aware uh, of what she wishes to accomplish. Uh, we'll try to talk to her again at some point soon. And, and uh, of course, you know, telegram t.me slash Overton Report. Uh, Twitter at Overton underscore the, I guess it's X now, right? And uh, please, please sign up at the Overton We're doing some profiles on various conservatives that are running for nonpartisan races in, in the off season, the 2023 election season. It's not getting a lot of coverage because obviously we've got the 2024 primaries coming up. And that's taken a lot of attention away from the 2023 season, but those races are important. Uh, We've also got some investigations going on there. And you can catch this show as a podcast in the next few days if you miss it, just like you can with any of our shows, if you miss them at BigPatriotRadio.com. And remember, we're on BigPatriotRadio.com every Tuesday at 7 p.m. with an encore at 8. So... I highly suggest you catch us there. And if you're interested in uh, sponsorship opportunities there, just shoot us a message, uh, theovertonreport at gmail.com, and uh, and we can talk about that. We'll get you squared away. And you can actually listen to conservative, uh, conservative shows from all over the state of South Carolina every night on bigpatriotradio.com at 7 p.m. Thank you guys so much for, for tuning in. Once again, my name is Corey Allen, and this has been The Overton Report.